to the Mustard Seed Church if you're new here. Thanks for joining us today. My name is Wayne and I am the lead pastor here. And now one of the things that we love to say here, the sort of culture that we want to create. When we talk about culture, there's like different ways you can... Culture is something that you feel. Okay, so I'll give you an example. KFC and uh, Chick-fil-A, they both do chicken. But the culture at Chick-fil-A is way different than KFC. Would we agree with that? Yes. Right? So culture is something that you feel, and so the words that we use up here is not just empty words that we use. We want to create a culture here so when you come in, you feel it. And so one of the things that we say here is that we want to help people move towards Jesus. And that's whether you've been following Jesus for 30 or 40 years, or maybe you're just new here trying to figure out who this Jesus guy is. Gosh, we want to be a part of that on the journey with you. And so we hope and pray that wherever you might be on the journey, that today is meaningful to you and really speaks to you to where you're at. So last week we began our three week sermon series looking at the enemies of our soul that you and I can experience probably every day. And these three enemies of the soul is what the New Testament writers call the world, the flesh, and the devil. Have you heard that before? Yes. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And where this is found is in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. We have it on the screen for you. And Paul says this to the church in Ephesus. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. There's the world. Following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's Satan or the devil. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. The flesh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So this sermon series, The World, the Flesh, and the Devil. We're sort of kind of doing it in conjunction with a book by John Mark Comer called Live No Lies. If you've never read it before, I would recommend it. It's a good read. Uh, but this is, where, this, is, this is where the idea comes from in the New Testament is in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 2, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 to 3. And so last week we looked in our sermon series, we started off with the first enemy of our soul and that is the world. And the world, it, how we defined it was the values, the values, the systems and the social norms under the control of Satan, and because of that, in opposition to God's values, systems, and norms. So a good example of this, right, is God would say, hey, love your enemies and pray for them, right? That's his value. He values that. The world would say, they're your enemies. Retaliate. Get even. You get what I'm saying? The world, God would say, hey, love your neighbor as yourself, that a friend would lay down his life for someone else. And the world says, man, look out for numero uno. You get what I'm saying? And so it's the values and systems and norms that are in opposition from the world and for God. Now, just to make it clear, and I, wanted, I thought about this all week, <laughs> is that when we talk about the world, the default that we can go to is, well, I can't do anything because then I'm worldly. Right? So I just want to make it clear, hey, if you're buying a house, 
or a car or a job, getting a new job, or it's the new year and you're like, you know what, I'm going to get a gym membership. You are not being part of the world. Okay? Can I just make that clear? Because I know in some circles it's like, well, I can't even eat this donut because the world made it. You know? It's like, well, I would, I would eat the donut. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that was just me. And where, where this idea comes from, Eugene Peterson in the message in the same book of Ephesians says this. He says, you let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. And so what we're saying when we talked about the world was, man, we believe there's a system and values that God has that is really living the good life. Right? And so that's what we're talking about. So if you have an Instagram account, you are not loving the world. Okay? We'll just make that pretty we'll make that clear. Today we're looking at the second enemy of the soul that we have in the list, which is the flesh. And so we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 through 26. Wow, I got tongue-tied there. 13 through 26. And before we get into that, we'll read it. We'll stand and we'll read it together just to give you a little context of what is happening in this book, the book of Galatians, okay? There are Jewish Christians who are showing up to the church in Galatia and they are telling the non-Jewish Christians that to really be right with God, you have to do some of these other Jewish practices. You need to be circumcised. You need to keep the Sabbath. You need to not eat pork on top of what Jesus has already done. It's like, yeah, what Jesus has done is great, but to really be right with God, I mean to... To be the A-team, you need to do these other things, right? And so essentially what they're doing is they're preaching a different gospel. What they're saying is that what Christ has done isn't actually enough. We need to do some extra stuff. And so in chapters 1 and 2 in the book of Galatians, Paul just reiterates what he's been saying his whole time in ministry. That what Christ has done, his sacrifice is sufficient. When he was on the cross and he said, it is finished... Guess what it was? It was finished. Okay? So in Galatians 1 and 2, Paul's reiterating that. In chapters 3 and 4, Paul is painting a picture of what it actually looks like to be in the family of God. That it's not just a specific group of people who keep the circumcision and don't eat pork and keep. Like it's not just a specific group of people, but rather it's all people. No matter race or gender or age or skin color or ethnic background or financial status, that all people are blessed by the sacrifice that Christ has made. All people are welcomed into the family of God, essentially is what he's saying. And then in chapters 5 and 6, mainly in chapter 5 where we find ourselves today, Paul lays out then what it looks like to live that out. And so that's what we're jumping into today. Galatians chapter 5. And so would you stand with me as we read Galatians chapter 5, 13 through 26. And the reason why we stand for reading the word is because, gosh, we just want to honor the word of the Lord. Right? We want to submit ourselves to the word of the Lord. And so we posture ourselves to say, Lord, would you speak to us? Okay? Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
But if you bite and devour one another, which watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. There's quite a big chunk of scripture there. A lot of going on. But we'll walk through some of that this morning. So the first thing we want to highlight. I got two points this morning that we'll highlight from this text. The first one is, is that there is a tug of war. The tug of war in Galatians 5. You probably read it. When we look at the passage for today, we see this real tension between the flesh and the spirit. He says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh is against the spirit and the spirit is against the flesh and they are opposed to each other. So we see this real tug of war relationship between the flesh and the And the spirit. And when it comes to the word flesh, this word is found three times. uh, The definition of it is found three times in the New Testament. And they mean three different things. The word flesh does. The first one is, is the flesh is our physical body. And uh, Jesus says this in Matthew 16. When he's talking to Peter, he says, who do you say that I am? And uh, oh, here we go right here. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Keep going with it. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. What he's saying there is like some person has not revealed this to you. Somebody with a body, somebody with flesh and blood has not revealed to you that I am the Christ. My Father who is in heaven has. The second one that we see is that flesh can be your ethnicity or your family of origin. And in Philippians chapter 3 Uh, Paul says this when he's writing about confidence in the flesh. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. So he's talking about his confidence in the flesh here. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And look what he lists out. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. And so he's saying he has confidence in the flesh because he's from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrew, from the people of Israel. And so he's listing out his family of origin, his ethnic background, and all of this. 
The third one, which is where we're going to land at today with the flesh, is uh, what John Mark Comer states in his book, Live No Lies. He says, the flesh is our base, primal, animalistic drive for self-gratification, especially as it pertains to sensuality and survival. That's a whole sort of different definition for the flesh, huh? Our base, primal, animalistic drive for self-gratification and sensuality and survival. When we think about the flesh, or what the New Testament writers are talking about when they talk about the flesh, is the flesh is the side of us that we don't want other people to find out about. The flesh is the side of us that uh, we would be ashamed of our character if they knew we did that. Like, have you ever reacted in such a way and you look back and you're like, why did I say that? I remember growing up, gosh, I had a temper like a little, like a little candle wick. You know what I'm saying? Just a short temper. And I would like get mad at my dad and I would punch holes in the wall. I'm serious, something serious, right? It was bad. And I would punch holes in the wall and I'd be like, I hate you. I never want to talk to you again, right? And afterwards I would step away and I'm like, gosh, why did I say that? Like I really didn't mean that, but it was like something in the moment sort of overtook me. It's what it felt like. And this is what the New Testament writers would call the flesh. The flesh is the side of us that we would be ashamed of if people knew our thoughts and what we thought, at, our, our thinking and what we thought at times. One New Testament writer says this, he said that uh, the flesh is the part of us that we don't want to be told what to do. It's stubborn, refuses correction, and does not want to have a thing to do with God. It bristles at limits and rules. It recoils at anything that might cause me to be something less than the center of the universe. The flesh hates to be under authority or to have to yield to anything other than its own wishes and desires. This is what the New Testament writers are talking about when they talk about the flesh. And a perfect story for this is I was at the brewery the other day with a friend of mine. And uh, he was talking with me about his boundaries with, with life and the boundaries that he has in ministry that he sets up for himself. And I, I, I was struck by the way he said this. He said, man, in my life and in my ministry and with family, he's like, I set up all these kind of boundaries. He said, because I know myself. He said, I know myself. I know my weaknesses. I know my struggles. I know the temptations. And this is what the New Testament writers talk about when they mention the flesh. This is what the famous Swedish psychiatrist Carl Jung would call our shadow self. And if we're honest, this is true of all of us. Our shadow self. These desires, our weaknesses, our temptations, our struggles that seem to overcome us at times. This is all of us. Whether Christian or atheist, we're all aware of the shadow self. We're all aware of this tension between good and evil within our own self. Is that just me? 
We're all aware, but I remember when I was first became a Christian, somebody wronged my family, and I, man, the thoughts that I had was like, I'm about to take somebody out, and we got these bayous over here with alligators, and they'll never find them. You know, like, I mean, I'm like thinking all this, like, you know, if somebody hurts my daughters, somebody's going to vanish. You know what I mean? Like, there are these things to where it's like, we realize, we realize the tension that there is good and evil within all of us. We're aware of the desires to judge others harshly. We're aware of desires to point out other people's insecurities. We're aware of the ease at which we have a quick temper. We're aware of our willingness to step on others to achieve our own goals. Gosh, some of this is heavy. We're aware of the desire to get angry when things don't go our way. We got to have the control. We're aware of our desires to gossip about others. These desires of the flesh, as we speak of, are probably not things that we're proud about, that we're not proud of. This is what Plato and Socrates would call the tyrant of our soul. What Carl Jung calls our shadow side, what Eugene Peterson calls compulsions of selfishness and self-interest, and what the New Testament writers call our flesh. And this is the enemy of our soul. Our flesh doesn't want us to draw near to God or to read our Bible or to pray or to fast or to serve others. Have you ever been there? You ever sit down to read your Bible and you're like, you know what? Did I leave the oven on? (laughs) Right? You know what? Before I read this Bible, uh, I need to do some of this other stuff over here first. You know what I'm saying? And it's like the flesh does not want us to draw near to God. Like you need to realize that like at times, yes, your mind wanders 100 miles an hour and there might be things going on. You need to check off your to-do list. But there is an enemy of your soul that does not want you to draw near to God. And it helps to become aware of that because then when you sit down and you open your Bible and you say, Lord, this is time for prayer and reading and I want to meet with you. And all of these other things come at you where you're like, you know what, I think I'm going to make scrambled eggs. Right? You can stop and say, you know what? No. No. Lord, this is for you. This is my time with you. As Paul would say, our flesh is in opposition to the Spirit. And this is the tension that we find ourselves in. This battle between the flesh and the Spirit. It sort of reminds me when I go to the grocery store. And you go into the checkout line, and when I get into the checkout line, on one side there's magazines, and it's like vegan eating and healthy food. And the the guy on there, he's like beautiful with like chiseled abs and everything. And I'm like, yes, I want to eat healthy. I definitely want abs. I never had them. If if you've had them before, let me know what they're like. I just would love to know. Uh, But, you know, I'm like, yes. And then on the other side of the checkout line, what is there usually? Reese's Pieces and Snickers. And if you go to Natural Grocers, it's the Peanut Clusters. If you go to Becky Davis's here in town, it's Enstrom's Toffee, the Dark Chocolate. And, uh, oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> thank you, Lord. And after much wrestling with myself 
in this tension between the flesh and the spirit. <laughs> yeah, after much wrestling with myself, I leave with instruments. <laughs> I'll never know what it's like to have abs, you know, but I leave with instruments. But the reality of it is, is we're all aware of this shadow self, of this tension between the flesh and the spirit. And honestly, this is why I struggle. This is side note. This is Wayne's thought right here. Okay. This is why I struggle with pastors sort of preaching and harping on people and calling people sinners and all of this stuff. Because for me, I know that I am. I know my struggle. I know my weaknesses. I know my temptations. Gosh, I know that I think things that are not of God and I do things that are not of God. I know that. And I wonder if this morning some of you relate to that. You feel that yourself. But I also know, this is what I keep coming back to. This is again Wayne speaking. I also know what God's done. Even though there's a reality of, yes, I feel this tension between the flesh and the spirit, and they're opposed to one another, and I want to submit to the spirit and surrender to the spirit and walk by the spirit. At times, I don't do that. I keep coming back to the truth that I know what Jesus has done. And if you've ever been in the lows of lows and he's brought you out of the mud, you know what he's done. I equally know of his sacrifice on the cross and what he's done is sufficient. That when he said it is finished, it is finished. I equally know that his word is true and he says that he will bring to completion the work that he's begun in me. That one day when I see him face to face, I want to hear the words, well done. I know, I know these are the truths. Even in my weakness, and even in my struggles, and even in temptations, that this is true. That you and I are loved. Even in the battle... Even in the tension of the flesh and the spirit, you and I were loved. God did not say to me and to you, get yourself together and then I'll come. I can't tell you how many people I try to share Jesus with and they say, well, man, I want to get my life right and then I'll come. I'm like, man, he's like knocking at the door saying, forget trying to get it right. I'm here. He didn't say get it together and then I'll come. He came to you and to me, even in our weakness, even in our struggles, even in our tensions and battles. He came and he said, for all of those who would believe in the gospel of John, for all of those who would believe, you will be called sons and daughters of God. That's what he came. And this is the one of the main themes that Paul's message is. A lot of New Testament scholars are like, well, what's the theme running across all of Paul's writings, right? This is one of those themes. He says, and you can read them. You can, Romans 8, he says the same thing. Galatians 5, he says the same thing. Ephesians 2, he says the same thing. I want to finish reading Ephesians 2 for you. 
Verse 4 through 5. We won't have it on the screen. I'll just read it. And he says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. We can all relate to that. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Amen. Like the rest of mankind. And this is where I love where Paul switches it at. He says, but God. But God, rich in mercy, because of the great love which He loves us, even when we were dead in trespasses, rich in mercy, His great love for us, even when we didn't have it together, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Thank you, Lord. Can I say this to you this morning? If I'm up here talking about the realities of the flesh within us all, and when I talk about the tensions of the flesh and the spirit, and you're like, yep. When you're talking right to me, I get it. Amen. That's like the only amens I get. You know, but I'll take it. Or when I told you about my friend at the brewery who says, man, I know myself. I know my struggles and my weaknesses and my temptations. And you're like, yeah, amen. Why ain't you talking right to me? Or even for some of you today, you're feeling the struggles and the temptations and the weaknesses and the shadow self. Can I say to you this morning, but God, rich in his mercy sees you and loves you and has moved towards you and has made us alive together with Christ and by grace we are saved. That's good news. You and me are loved even in the middle of the tension. Thank you, Jesus. I kind of got fired up on that. I'm not going to lie. I had one cup of coffee. That was it. But, you know, evidently that's all it takes. So that's the first one is the tug of war. The second point is what Paul talks about, true freedom. He says in Galatians 5.13, right in the very beginning, he said, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. John Mark Comer in his book, Live No Lies, he quotes a philosopher named uh, Charles Taylor in his work, A Secular Age. And Charles Taylor writes about the change that has happened in the West from an author- a culture of authority to a culture of authenticity. So Charles Taylor is doing this work on this stuff. And he says, uh, we used to live by an external authority, which means... Uh, an external authority which told us what to do. So God, the Bible, your, your parents, work, right? When I was working in oil and gas and my boss told me to do something and then it hit the fan and didn't work, I was like, there was like total freedom in that because I was like, he told me to do it, you know? <laughs> but there's this external authority that told us what to do. But what he says is he says now in the West, in America, we're transitioning to a culture of authenticity. And what he says, he says it's uh, now we live from what the internal authentic self wants to do. So it's never it's now it's not the external 
authority telling us what to do. But now we live from the internal authentic self and what it wants to do. And in the simplest form, the way I can just dumb it down the most, what this means is what they're saying is that in order to be free, you do what you want to do. In order to be free, you do what you want to do. And this is the same language that is used in our culture today. I want to share with you some slogans and phrases and commercials and all that stuff. And you'll pick up on a theme. One is, uh, the heart wants what it wants. You ever heard that before? The heart wants what it wants. What about follow your heart? Yeah, you heard that one? You do you. I know you heard that one. What about Nike and just do it? Yeah. What about Burger King? And I, I used to love those double whoppers. Have it your way, right? Speak your truth. Be true to yourself. Or the famous words from Princess Elsa in Frozen, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. I know some of you want to start singing Let It Go. I know you did. I did. Essentially what they're saying is that if you want to be free, follow your desires, follow the truth that is in you. And in taking this approach of you do what you want to do, we have become a culture of self. A culture of self. If you quickly do a Google search about self in American culture, you'll see things like this. This is just my Google search. Self-worship. Selfism. I didn't even know that was a thing. Selfies. The American sense of self. The rise of self. Self-gratification. Self-interest. Like these are just, and the list goes on and on and on. And essentially what our culture is saying is say yes to yourself. And in doing so you'll find freedom. But can I tell you something? This is the lie that the enemy of our soul wants us to believe. Because in saying yes to yourself, you say yes to those desires of the flesh that Paul says you should be crucifying. This is why we started with the conversation about the enemy of our soul first being the world. Because then you throw the world in there and the values and systems and norms with the desires of the flesh that we should be crucifying. And man, those two work hand in hand. Enemies of our soul. See, the truth is is that in order to find freedom, we have to surrender to some things and say no to other things. And this is what Paul is saying. He says, don't use your freedom to give an opportunity to the flesh. Freedom, a lot of uh, psychiatrists and psychologists and sociologists and all these other ologists and whatever, you know. They talk about that, that we have to, there, there are two different kind of freedoms. Freedoms from things and freedom to things. There are two different kinds of freedoms. And just give you an example for me in my eating, right? If I just want to have the freedom and eat whatever I want to eat, like when I go down to Louisiana and visit my family, I'm gone for a week and I gain 10 pounds. It ain't no lie, okay? Because they got fried shrimp and gumbo and crawfish etouffee and beignet donuts, right? Now you see the struggle. You get what I'm saying? 
So when I go there, it's like all on freedom of like, hey, let's go here and here and here and here and here. And then I come back and I get on the scale and I'm like, how did that happen? You know? That's freedom to things. Being able to do whatever you want to do. No limits. No restrictions. No constraints. Do whatever you want to do. But what they also talk about is freedom from things. And so what this looks like in my life with eating as well is when I start going to the gym and I try to get in shape and all that, I start tracking my food and I start meal planning and I'm tracking my proteins and my carbs and my fat and I'm like, this is how I'm going to get abs, but I really know it ain't going to happen. You get what I'm saying? Because cereal, I'm a cereal killer. At night, bowl of cereal, I just demolish it. You get what I'm saying? And uh, so, but I, I like set these boundaries and I meal cook ahead of time and I have all... And what it does is, is it gives me, this is where I feel the most free. I don't have to worry about, what am I going to eat today? What's for lunch and dinner? How much should I eat? How little should I eat? It, it's just freedom just to actually be me. And this is what Paul is talking about here. He says, you don't have your freedom just to do whatever you want with the flesh. Thank you, Lord. That's an old iPad. <laughs> You don't have the freedom just to do whatever you want to do with the flesh, but rather use your freedom and surrender to the Spirit. It's a different message than what the world speaks. That we would walk by the Spirit. People way smarter than myself, and it's a lot of people, right? People way smarter than myself say that whatever you say yes to, you become a slave to. Whatever you say yes to, you become a slave to. And Comer states in his book that anything that has control over you, being an autocratic tyrant, a slave owner, a self-defeating behavior, or an addiction to drugs or alcohol, or even your phone, is your master. Whatever you say yes to, you become a slave to. So if we say yes to the flesh... Even though we think, oh, we have all this freedom, we're still saying yes to the, uh, the desires that are within. And then therefore a slave to them. And what Paul is saying is, say yes to the Spirit. Surrender and submit yourself to the Spirit of God and you will find true freedom. And as we close, if we can have the worship team come up. Comer, Comer closes his book in the Live No Lies by, by this little line, and I just love it. Because it's a picture between uh, Moses and Jesus and how that looks in our life. And he says, this is the human journey. The exodus from slavery to freedom with Jesus as our new Moses. Jesus' offer was and still is to rescue and deliver us from the prison of sin and self. And to lead us into a new land and a new life. That's Jesus. To deliver and to rescue and to lead us into new land and to new life. And my friends, can I tell you that this freedom is still available for you today. This freedom from sin and self and the desires of the flesh is still available for us today. 
It's found through Jesus and through the Spirit as we surrender. Now, yes, we're going to have the tension. Paul doesn't say the battle is ended. We're still in it. There's still the tension of the flesh and the Spirit and being in opposition to one another. But Paul is encouraging the church and he's encouraging us, say yes to the Spirit. Surrender to the Spirit. 